You are listening to the Noisy Narratives podcast, a podcast produced by the Women of First Ministries at Frisco First Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Here at Noisy Narratives, we like to cut through the noise of our stories and get to the heart of what really matters. We hope you are blessed by what we share. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it amazing? everyone. Welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie. I'm here with Christy. Hey, Christy. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. We have our a special guest, um, of course, that we're so excited about. Mm-hmm. We'll get to introduce you guys to. Mm-hmm. But before that, mm-hmm. we have a question. What is it? Well, here's a quote. And then the question, you sent me this quote. It's great. Because I thought it was hilarious. It's hilarious because it's true. Nobody is more full of false hope than a mom who places items on the stairs for her family members to carry up preach right <laughs> and then you said what do you do over and over again in hopes that the next time will be different so what do we do over and over again i love this because this is a good point of reference too like just simple monday mundane mm-hmm. things like you hope the boys pee in the toilet but they don't yes. ever i mean maybe but we hope and it never happens yeah. i remember being like oh teach him how to pee with a cheerio that's great right in theory do it again when they're 16 <laughs> 19 10 whatever exactly. right like it's never stopping what are other things that come to mind well and i think that's what's hard too is those are the little things i think that if we're not careful slowly drive us insane mm-hmm. i've decided they're mm-hmm. the little things but then i go but that's the definition of an insanity right according to who was it that said that einstein whoever it was doing the same thing over mm-hmm. and over again expecting a different result mm-hmm. and I'm like, those are literally the things that drive mm-hmm. us crazy, drive us crazy. Um, I was trying to think, I think for my husband, this is more <laughs> like, I am not very good at spatial awareness when I'm like driving, like pulling into our garage. <laughs> Do you hit Sometimes. things? Well, I just, the car moves. I've hit the mirror. The car just moves. Like it just moves <laughs> on its own. Did you see the way she said that? The car just it moves. Does. I don't. <laughs> end up in the do you same have like a Tesla? You have a, spot do, you have a, do you have a car that drives itself that's what you're saying yeah right Liar. that's we're gonna spend Liar. that much money on a car hondas don't do that <laughs> okay Especially so finish your story a pilot um no so i'm just saying like that it doesn't quit saying up. it doesn't <laughs> my your, my driving car my driving skills do not manage to park the car in the same spot every single time so my husband will literally like have to move things around so that he can fit adjust. his car in too. No, his car gets in. Like we both get to park in the garage, yeah. but he's got tools and he's got yeah. stuff everywhere. So he'll every once in a while go. So, honey, I noticed this. You're getting kind of close to the toolbox. Do yeah. I need to move? I was like, no, okay, I'll move noodles. over. He needs to put pool noodles. He used to so... have a tennis ball that would dangle down. That yeah. is, and that would I've I've learned how when I park how far up to go. So mm-hmm. I'm good there. It's the and that's like you need like right. bumpers, like pool noodles on the I side of your I car <laughs> when you pull in, so that you don't hit his tools. So I need to drive with the pool noodles yeah. on my car. Or just he needs to do it to where like he has pool noodles on his his toolbox, so that you don't ever hit it. My point was. He has accepted that the car drives itself. Is he what has your point accepted is. the fact that my cars are slightly possessed, <laughs> or he's just accepted the fact that he's mar- like he he recognizes. Like now we had a we had a little argument the other day because I do not, and it wasn't a big deal, but I was upset at him because I do not notice if I have a nick or a dent on my car. 
I just don't. And my car's new. But why and why so, would you notice that? Because I you have p- one. But I'm saying, do you walk around your car every time you get to a parking spot? Like, you know, when you no. get a rental car? No. And they inspect it every time you leave? But my but husband, does that? My husband does that. recognizes every oh, single Jamie. little thing. Oh, wow. And so. It's a gift and a curse. <laughs> so I was like, he told me, you got another dent on your car. And I was like, and it's somebody knocked their door. Yeah, and, yeah. It, you know, so it's not big and it is hard to see. But I got upset at him because I was like, I had to go for a walk. I was like, why are you telling me? I could go years and not even realize that's there. (laughs) So true. Like, why can you not? And so, again, my husband wants me to care. He does the same thing over and over again, expecting Uh, a different result. It's not going to happen. So he was like, you know what, honey? I'm so sorry. You're right. I won't. If when I find it, I will carry that weight on my own. <laughs> uh-huh. so it only matters to you. But I think that's such a great point too, is that we want people to change. Yeah. And so we try that we want them to cater to our needs or what we like. That might be a bad way to say it, but it's kind of true. Yeah. So we want them to be like us or for the things that we care. And in reality, there's certain things that they just don't care, care about. And, and it it's doesn't not a- mean that they don't love us or they exactly. care for us. It's just not in our wheelhouse to care. And there's so many different things that I do care about that are high on the yeah. totem pole. I was like, how? And he struggles with not caring about everything. And that just gets very weighty. Yeah. And so he's had to learn how to let things go. And I think so. I mean, it was good for us, like in the sense of the conversation was over fast. Not a big deal. Love each mm-hmm. other. Kiss, kiss, make up. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago, it would have been, why don't you care about this? Like, you need to park further out so you yeah. can walk. Yeah. <laughs> like, you I need care to, about it. All you these things. Care about exactly. It. And you have to be like, you. no, you can carry that burden by yourself. Yeah. You can. Yeah. Yeah. Greg and I've had those. So moments. I do think that is another bigger picture of the putting things on the stairs over and over. Right. Are the things in our yeah. relationships that we st- keep expecting from certain people that really in the grand scheme of things aren't hurting people. They're no. not like this isn't something that is like a character flaw. It's right. really just how somebody is. Such you keep as expecting something different. Mm-hmm. Brit Brindley and Gentry share room and their room is a mess all yeah. the time. And I'll be like, can we clean it? Why do you care if my room's a mess? And I have to think back too, cause we're at one, we're a one story house. So back in the day I grew up with a one story house, but my room was like around a wall and around a corner. So you can't, you couldn't see my room and right. my mom would just shut the door. And so I had to learn to be like, don't care don't care this is not a character flaw this is not a personality thing this is just a messy room right like self-talk a lot but that is a conversation that happens yeah we've had we have similar we have one that's super messy and one that's super yeah. not yeah but they literally that's in one that's in between it's funny mm-hmm. out of all three but again yeah it's their room and so but I my limit was hey if you want to have people over though you do need to pick it up that's just polite <laughs> Which I'm going to start booking people every night to come there you over go. so I can have it clean every single day. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> okay, got I it. I was like, that's just being kind. I mean, honestly, because then you are thinking about the other person. Nobody yeah. wants to look at and smell your dirty socks on the floor. So mm. seriously, that's just not part of loving your neighbor. Let's love our neighbor a little better. But um, but other than that, I'm like, you're right. It's your room. So can you think you know? of anything else that you do over and over again that with no result? Man. Um I'm sure there's like a million of them. Like trying to lose weight. You try to do a good job yeah, there. That's a or great whatever, example. No, no change. Yes. And that's frustrating. Yeah. That's a great example. Not stretching, but still expecting to feel good anyway. <laughs> what do you mean stretching? Like stretching Like your I've gotten to where, yeah, after I, I need to like stretch because my oh. shoulders hurt. My legs hurt after I like, and oh. if I stretch, I feel better and I'm, but I want to be young again to where I don't have to. 
Yeah, you can't do that. No, I can't. <laughs> or you I'm need 50. to start doing it. Yeah, exactly. I was like, so expecting, maybe expecting me to feel like I did 30 years ago over and over again and then hurting myself because I think that. Mm, that's good. And not changing the, I think that for sure is happening to both Jamie and I. I was like, honey, really? Like, we need to pay somebody to do the yard. We are going to kill ourselves and we're going to You've got hurt. a daughter at home. Have her do it. Oh, she, we have people mow and all that. I'm talking about new landscaping, like putting in trees oh. and rocks and da -da -da, oh. all the big stuff that okay. we need to do. I was like, we, I'm, I'm going to hurt after we do this. Uh -huh. Yeah. You don't do <laughs> How that. How much is that worth? Uh -huh. to pay for? So I have a good friend. She said last week that her and her husband went to the lake and he was like, listen, are you going to be in a bad mood? Are you going to ruin this for me? And she was like, what do you mean? She he goes, we're going down there and it might take longer than five hours to do this because he would always for years it only take two hours it's only gonna take three hours and she was like six minutes in we're, or six hours in we're still there and so she was dying she was like he looked at her and was like so and they don't have they didn't have any kids so it's just the two of them going to landscape their house or redo some stuff and he was like are you gonna ruin this you gonna ruin this are you good with this and she was like fine okay if it takes 10 hours I'll be in this for I will have a good attitude for the full 10 hours she said she was so sore and she was so tired and we asked her how long it took she said it didn't take 10 hours but she had to have it like felt, that gut yeah. check of like I'm not gonna take this personal I'm not gonna be mad for him asking like I need to go in with like a good good attitude about it and understand it might take longer than three hours in the past she was like you said it'd be three hours it's been six hours it's of exhausting working. of working and it's going back so and forth. And horrible you can't blame the fact that the roots don't want to come nope. up when you try to yep. pull on them or and that there's rocks longer. and stuff like that okay so I I, a good way that, to handle that conversation he too. did a great job and I totally understand where she's coming from yeah. from the landscaping more because that's not something I enjoy no <laughs> but she did have the choice to be like you can go I'll stay home but yes. she wanted to go with them and be with them and uh, so he was like okay well you have to enjoy you have to you can't ruin this yeah you have please to understand don't ruin this for me go into it knowing it's going to be longer yes than expected yes and that is you're but right. That was a That's good a way to take this. Yes. Like the same thing over and over again, but they were able to talk about it. Yes. And I would say it's the same thing for car trips if people hate being in the car. That's Get true. yourself ready for it. But know that certain people are just going to be a certain way. Stop expecting them to be different. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, my goodness. So we went from expectations to insanity all over the place. But it's still not as good as our bathroom conversation that everybody keeps talking about. But. I know, and it's I'm sure people fun. think about it all the time, too. Oh, I had somebody stop me on Sunday again, because they had just listened to it, so and they funny. said it was so funny. <laughs> so now all these people haven't heard that. it yet. They're uh -huh. about to go back and listen. Back We're going to get a whole another round. Uh -huh. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so, guest, so we have a guest today. We do. He is our new minister to young adults. We are excited to have him. This is Shamor Griffin, and he has a daddy to three kids. Yes. Ariana's seven. Alea's three. And Skylar's seven months. Yeah. So there you got your head full of girls. Yes. House mm -hmm. full of girls. Yes. <laughs> Which is why when I asked him today, Are you, were you excited to leave the house? And he was, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might go back to the office, people. So we are glad to have you here today with us. Glad to be here. Were you, you nervous when I sent you the text to come on? Or did you not think twice about it? No, I wasn't nervous at all. See, because you probably are familiar with podcasts mm -hmm. and you're young. And the older crowd that we mention a podcast, they freak out. Yeah. And they put me off and they don't answer me. 
and they make up things to do. Like I've got to go on cruises. I'm very, very busy. Where Shamar was like, sure, sounds like fun. We're glad you just said yes and mm-hmm. was like, hey, book and done and here we are. That's right. And we- you've got an accent. Where are you from? Tell got, us your story. I have an accent? You do. Every once in a while I can hear it. Oh, man. I'm from New Jersey. I know. I can hear it every now and then. You say certain <laughs> words or you have an inflection on things. And I'm like, oh, he's not from Texas. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. possibly. But, you know, me and Alexia, we, uh, we have a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we haven't been on it as much as we'd like to. But I'm very familiar with recording. A newborn and a new job is, keeps you yeah. busy. Yeah. We've, um, we've recorded a lot of videos. And we were thinking about doing a podcast. But we just don't have the time. No. So. Well, yeah, three girls at home and now ministry. Yeah, and ministry. school. Yeah, so. and school. That's yeah. okay. So, so let's get in. Let's dive into everything that mm-hmm. is Shamor Griffin. So like, where'd you grow up? Where were you born? All the fun so, family origin stuff. Yeah, I am born and raised in Jersey City. And are you guys familiar with Jersey at all? Not Only even Jersey a little bit. Jersey City. Wasn't Not that me. show came out with the Jersey City people? What the, What is that from? Jersey Shore? <laughs> yes, that's no. all I know about Jersey City. <laughs> Seriously? Oh, my gosh. So, that's South Jersey. Well, that's all I know. You asked. (laughs) So, Jersey City is actually, like, more central, closer to the north. Okay. And, okay, I have to ask. Are people really like that show? Or is that show just extreme? That's a very small portion of New Jersey. Okay, thank you. That's what I'm just like, surely, this is not normal. Yeah. It's such a small portion, but they make so much noise. So, when you tell people you're from New Jersey, they oh, you're from New Jersey. No, I'm (laughs) not. I'm Mm -mm. from New Jersey. Mm -mm. Jersey City, we're normal. We're normal. Okay, I like that. That's good. That's <laughs> you're good above the fray. You're in the normal part. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so you're from Jersey City. Tell us more. So, all right. The part of Jersey City I'm from is is very different in the sense of I'm from the projects. I'm born and raised in the hood. Do you do you ladies know anything of the hood? I do know about the projects. I taught kids from the projects, but different okay. projects, not Jersey projects specifically, yeah, I mean, but others. They but all have things in they, common. They do. I think poverty lends itself yeah. to certain DNA and mm-hmm. difficulties in the family systems there. But yeah, tell us about your Describe experience. the projects yeah. to us for people that don't know. Or might be like me that might be like, oh, movies. I know the projects from yeah. movies. I know Jersey <laughs> City from a show. I know the projects from movies. Yeah, so I'm from a project called Lafayette Gardens. And in the city, if your community ends in gardens... It's the projects. Wow. So. That's super cool to know. <laughs> yeah, that's just okay. how it happens where I'm Fun from. Fun fact. And um, it was rough. You know, there's some things that people generally just know and accept about the projects. It's the hood. There's poverty. There's crime. And all the things, I believe, that are universally known about, you know, the hood. And that's very true. Is it a high rise? Did you live in a high rise? No. So the projects I grew up in was actually just three story buildings, a bunch of three story buildings. And although there's a lot of negative that everyone knows about the hood, there's also some positives as well. Oh wait, you've shared positive before, but real fast Mm because our listeners want to know more about the negative. negative. I'll be honest. Okay. So what I can say is that at a very young age, I was exposed to a lot of things that kids shouldn't see, especially considering that my mom struggled with drug addiction. So you saw drugs. Yes. I saw my mom. The use of drugs. Yep. Buying and selling of drugs. Mm-hmm. People taking them. Yep. Overdoses? I haven't seen overdoses. However, oh, I've seen people so spaced out yep. to the point where like they're hunched over mm-hmm. and their head is pretty much touching their knees, but they don't fall. Oh, wow. Like, you can push them and they'll just sway over to the side yeah. and they just they will not fall. I don't understand mm-hmm. what it is, wow. but it's a, it's a phenomenon that just... It just racks your brain. You're like, how is this possible? Mm-hmm. How is this person's head pretty much touching the floor, but they don't fall? Oh. So then violence. What about the violent side of things? Violence. I've seen a ton of fights. I've seen mm-hmm. domestic violence. Mm-hmm. I've seen men beating women. 
I've seen all types of drug transactions. Mm-hmm. I've seen people shot at. Mm. <laughs> all people types shot of things. At. Yes. Wow. Um, I've, I've been robbed at gunpoint mm. one time coming home from work when I was a little older. But um, I've seen my mom doing drugs in the kitchen with mm. just, you know, random guys heating up the spoon, mm-hmm. doing all types of crazy things. I've seen people shooting heroin in my hallways, prostitution, mm. all types of things. But, you know, you get to a point where you're desensitized to it. And it just becomes normal. True. How so, old were you when you started processing and seeing this stuff? For as long as I can remember. Really? Yeah. And you had siblings? Mm-hmm. How many siblings? So I lived with two of my sisters. And my oldest brother, I think he's about 14 years older than me. He lived with my grandmother and she raised him. Mm-hmm. So in my house was just me and my two sisters. Okay. And um, they had been in it long before I did. Mm-hmm. I came around. And the thing is, although my mother struggled with severe addiction, she went in like cycles. She would have some, you know, years where she was healthy and she was clean. And then she would have years where she would relapse. So how did you enjoy the years when she was healthy and clean? Like, were you like, she's going to relapse. It's just a matter of time. Yes. Yeah. You just, you constantly live with that fear of any day could be the day. Things are normal. There's some type of consistency and you, you just, it's always hovering over you. Like any day could be the day to where everything is just stripped from underneath us. And we were thrusted right back into this chaotic underworld of just mm. struggle and no food. My mom would literally sell the food out of the refrigerator. She would sell our clothes out of the closets. She would sell our shoes. Anything that she could carry out of the house, she would sell for drug money. But if you knew that, when you got things, did you want to hide them from her? She would find them. Shut up. Yeah. So when we would so go you to tried school, to hide them? Yeah. Because you were like, she's going to find them, but you would try. Yeah. So my sisters actually, they had to work. My mm-hmm. sister was really good. My middle sister, she's seven years older than me. She was really good at volleyball. Mm-hmm. She could have went to college on a scholarship, but she had to end up stop to stop. Uh, I'm sorry. She had to end up not playing anymore so that she could work so that she could support us along with my older sister, who's two years older than her. Mm-hmm. And they had a stash of money and they hid it underneath a floor tile. And they were like, it's safe here. She's mm-hmm. never going to find this. But that's one thing when you're dealing with a crackhead, they yep. will find it. They will. They it's like they can it sniff out. it. They yes, can. <laughs> they really and you can. You can't keep it on you because you'll get robbed. Exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's a lose lose. Yeah. And I just I watched the frustration. I saw a heartbroken my sisters where they worked so hard for that money. My sister got a job at McDonald's, mm-hmm. and sometimes that would be the only time I would eat, other than being at school. So in the summer times it was rough. Mm-hmm. So she would bring home McDonald's that she probably stole Mm -hmm. (laughs) because she would bring home a bunch of food. And I know she wasn't paying for all of it, Mm -hmm. but that's how, you know, we would eat. That's how we would be sustained. And, um, and then my mother would come back. And then when she came back, my father would also come back around. But when she would relapse, he would disappear for however long she was messed up for. Mm -hmm. So it was just an ongoing cycle, just a roller coaster Mm -hmm. of her getting clean, relapsing, becoming clean again, relapsing. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So that's kind of the, the bad side. So tell us the good side that you mentioned earlier. The good side is you have a bunch of people who are in a similar situation as you. So that really fosters a a sense of camaraderie. Like me and all my friends that I grew up with from the projects are still the best of friends to this day. And um, although I moved, I relocated to Texas. We still keep in contact. We have a group chat. We still talk on birthdays. And every time I go there, I link up with them and we're still really close. Uh, And there's just a really strong underlying sense of community Mm -hmm. when everyone's in that situation. And I think we were having this conversation before where when you grow up in that type of environment, everyone looks out for everyone's Mm -hmm. kids. People's parents had permission to discipline me if I acted up. If, you know, my friend's mom or my mom's friend saw me, 
either, you know, getting disrespectful or just acting in a way in which I shouldn't have, they had permission. They were expected to discipline me and bring me back to my mom. This is what we were talking about because the black community is so good at that. Yeah. And that everybody has each other's back and mm-hmm. it's just a, a known thing. Yeah. Where there is I'm gonna say the white community, you don't know what you're gonna get on any given day with any given mom. Because <laughs> that mom could be like, You can do that to my kid and something happens and she's like, Why did you do that? Yeah. And face turns. But I do like that. It's just an underknown um something you just know. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 fabulous. Yeah. I love it. It's just community, like you said. I love it as an adult. Yes. As a kid, <laughs> I didn't love it. it. Yeah, but you know, it made you a good a good adult, though. It definitely, it definitely contributed, yeah. you know, to the person that well, I was. Well, and became. there's the weight and the bitterness that comes from getting disciplined by people who are making horrific life choices. Yeah. And you're watching kind of the hypocrisy of that as a kid. Mm-hmm. And even though you can't label it, you're living under that, right? Yeah. So, I, I mean, how old are you, Shmore? I just turned 31. 31. So you're not super far away from those memories really yeah. when did you leave your when were you out of your <laughs> he laughed you're not when are you when did you leave your home or when were you so i left jersey city in 2020 during okay. covid during covid yep. and then um did you when you graduated from high school when i graduated from high school what? i went to norfolk state university okay i went there for a year and a half i played football because that's something that there's really are only two alternatives in that environment to get out of it. Yes. Okay. It's either you play sports, you excel academically or you go to the streets. Mm-hmm. That's it. You go to school on an athletic scholarship, an academic scholarship, or you're a drug dealer or a gangbanger. Mm-hmm. That's really it. So it's not like other communities like here, we'll say in Frisco right now, where the mm-hmm. majority of people have access to good colleges yeah. that can get paid for without having academic scholarships are, yeah, it's paid for by parents, by or parents, parents or, or family, or, or even loans. Or, yeah, loans. Like that process is difficult, and yeah. if you know, mm-hmm. if you don't know how to do it, you can't probably get it very mm-hmm. easily. Um, so that is a very distinct thing that's different with the projects, right? Yeah, it's it is hard to get out. It's, it's a not different easy. world out here, mm-hmm. and ultimately, which is one of the reasons as to why me and Alexia made the decision to come out here. We wanted to raise our kids in a in a an environment that was conducive for them being the best people that they could be. And that wasn't going to happen where we were. Mm. Alexia, she doesn't share my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Her upbringing was totally different. She, um, I'm okay. She's going to get mad at me when I say this, but she comes from a pretty affluent family. Mm-hmm. The complete opposite of where I come from. Mm-hmm. So how'd y'all meet? So we actually we met doing a gospel play. What's a gospel play? We worked with um, some producers. They were they were called Get Right Entertainment, and they were Christians, and they wrote scripts. And then they had a production company to where they would put on plays. And I never acted before. It was never my desire to be an actor. Uh, I just went to church seeking community. I've been saved for a few years. However, I didn't have a church to go to. So I started seeking a church that one of my friends went to. And my first time attending, uh, the director of the production company, he was also the worship leader. He saw me, came up to me after the service and was like, hey, would you like to you know, be a part of a production that I'm putting on? I was like, acting? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I have a role I think that you'd be good at. He typecast the crap out of me. Awesome. <laughs> I was like, sure, tell me more about it. He was like, yeah, so there's this role that I want you to play. I want you to be a gangster. I was like, come on, dude. Like, a gangster, really? That's what you got from me? And then um, he was like, yeah, he's. I think you'd be really good. Just come, give it a try. Come to the rehearsal. See what you think. I said, okay, sure. What the heck? I'll do it. I go to the rehearsal. I had been rehearsing with them for probably about two weeks. Alexia, she didn't come yet. Mm-hmm. My father actually died 
that week. He had been struggling with prostate cancer that progressed and became really aggressive and ended up just overtaking his entire body. And then he ended up passing. So I didn't go to rehearsal that Tuesday. We had rehearsals on Tuesdays and Saturdays. I went to rehearsal the next Saturday and Alexia was there. We carpooled to the rehearsals because it was an hour and a half away from where mm. we met. And um, so we just had a hour and a half car ride of just long discussions. And I mean, we touched on everything. We touched on religion, politics, anything you could think of. We, we touched on it. And me and Alexia just so happened to be on opposite sides of every ideological spectrum you can think of. Oh, fine. So we were just going at it, going head to head with everything. We hated each other. And she'll tell you this. You can ask her. But you still carpooled. Yes, we okay. still carpooled. But, you know, Necessity. we would get into really, you know, heated debates, not confrontational, but just intense mm -hmm. because she's very passionate about what she believes in as well as I am, too. So that that was just, a, I guess you could say, a match made in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the choir director who would end up driving us, he just would be there just entertained, looking at how hard we were going at each other. But we really did not like each other. That's and funny. then for some reason, I just... I really liked the fact that, you know, she challenged me. She didn't just, for one, she was informed enough to be able to have these discussions and she challenged me and I liked that. And then we had one um, debate where we were talking about abortion and she was like, yes, you know, I'm pro-black, you know, the black community needs this, the black community needs that. I was like, well, how can you be pro-black and, you know, be an advocate of Planned Parenthood? And I explained to her the origins about that. And she came, she went home, did some research, came back to me the next day and said, hey, look, you were right about that. I was like, oh, my God, that doesn't happen. <laughs> like, are you serious? You and, fell in love with her right then. No, seriously. <laughs> seriously. <Yeah. laughs> Someone willing to listen and even look and see if they're... Yeah. If they need to change mm -hmm. the nuance or even whether they're right or wrong. Or, or understand whatever. the background. Yeah, so many sure. times we form you don't opinions know. and we have we no idea what's, where it comes from. Exactly. And, and we think job. we know. And that's the problem. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And, and I was telling her, like, yeah. you know, within the black community, a lot of us don't know that. Mm -hmm. We're the ones who, I guess, we partake of abortion, I say, more than any other ethnic group that's out there. But yet we're the biggest supporters of it. You know, not understanding the origins, you know, Margaret Sanger mm -hmm. and her motivations behind, you know, implementing Planned Parenthood. I said, that's a that's an inconsistency. And she came back to me and was like, you were right. And she changed her opinion on something that was based on truth. I was like, Lord, you, you're doing something. <laughs> so <laughs> so did awesome. she really literally become much more attractive to you when that oh, happened? Extremely. Yeah? So did you guys start dating pretty soon after yes, that? Yes, we did. How did that work? I told her she was my girlfriend. <laughs> you told, <laughs> told her? That's awesome. So and then how did, was that an argument there or was, did no, she agree? No, I mean, you know, obviously there was the attraction. Yeah. Um, but at that point I was looking for something much more. I was, I think I was 25 at the time and she mm -hmm. was 24 turning 25. And um, she had just been through what she had been through. And I was just looking for something different. I didn't go to this play with the intention of dealing with anyone. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, you know, just be professional. I never acted before, so I was like, I wanted to do that, and I ended up meeting her. We ended up getting married and having kids and coming That's out awesome. here to Texas. That's good. That is. But I do want to go awesome. back. You mentioned your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to share the story of your dad. Yeah. And what you knew about your dad, what you didn't know about your dad, and you can take it wherever <laughs> you want to go there. Yeah, so my dad was a character. My dad had a lot. Uh, okay, okay. Papa was a Rolling Stone. That was my dad. He was a rolling stone. My dad had so many women and so many children. There's probably more of us. I believe I'm the youngest of all my dad's kids. He had a wife that he had been married to for a very long time. He had one daughter with her, 
and he had nine kids with other women. Yeah, while how many was, other women? I believe maybe four. Because mm. he had two with my mom, two with another woman, and I, I can't even give you the specifics mm-hmm. as to the rest. But I have a bunch of siblings, and I, we believe I'm the youngest. We believe I'm the, the last of my father's kids, but there's no guarantee. But um, so he just... My mom. How did you discover that he had other families? Mm, okay. Like so, you shared with us before that he would come in and out. He was never yeah. a consistent father figure in the home. Mm-hmm. When did you start picking up on that? So he actually had no intention on introducing me and my sister to our siblings. He actually wanted to keep that in the dark from us. It was my uncle who brought some of my siblings over to my house. He gathered them up and he brought them over to my house and was like, they have to meet. If they don't meet, Jersey City is a very small city, mm-hmm. and you know what can happen. There That's can right. be some incestuous relations. Yeah. You don't even know that you're married, about to marry your stepsister, exactly. your half-sister, or half-brother. Or exactly. Yeah. And it almost happened mm. with one of my sisters and my brother, just because the city's so small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thank God he did that, mm-hmm. because <laughs> because that could have been bad. So uncle is in your dad's brother. My dad's brother. Wow. Yes. So how did your dad feel when he found out they did? he did He was that? pissed. He was upset, but he saw the benefit in it later. Mm-hmm. He wasn't willing to do it himself, and I think that was the biggest thing. And part of him doing it himself, I think he would have to acknowledge, you know, his actions mm-hmm. and the effect that it had. Like, there's people out here that you produced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to address that, which I don't think he was willing to do. But How did you find out that y'all weren't his only family? Who told you? My mom. How did she say it? So I asked my mom when I was about six years old. Oh, six. Yeah, she was very transparent, which is why I loved and I appreciated my mom. Although she had her struggles, Mm -hmm. she was a phenomenal mom when she was clean. She taught me how to read. She was very big on education. And she instilled in me a lot of stuff that I keep with me today that I instill in my children. Mm. So, And that's the sadness of addiction, right? Yeah. It's just, it's hard. You see the people they are and um, they're grabbed by something that's just extremely difficult. Yeah. So that's, I'm... It's actually encouraging to me to hear you talk like that about your mom. Yeah, I love my mom. Because not everybody does when they come from a, such hard circumstances. Mm-hmm. So that's sweet that you see the positive part of what she brought. Yeah, absolutely. So what did she tell you? So you're six and you ask her something? <laughs> I actually, so my father's Puerto Rican. I'm not all black. Okay. So I used to call my father Poppy. I say, hey, Poppy. I say, hey, mom, why doesn't Poppy live with us? Because I used to grow up watching these shows um, like Seventh Heaven yeah, yeah. Where they're all, yeah. Stuff like that. One yes. big happy family. Yeah, they're all have, living under the same roof. Yeah, I didn't have cable. So <laughs> I used yeah. to watch 7-Eleven on, on WB mm-hmm. and oh, other yeah. shows where they had like a nuclear family. Mm-hmm. So I asked my mom, I was like, why Why doesn't Poppy live with us? Like these people have fathers and the father lives in the home with the mom and they're just, they're just great. And she said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. She said, Poppy has another family and um, he's not going to come and, and do that with us. And I'd prefer that he not. My father, mm. he, he was a jerk. so mm-hmm. <laughs> And she knew that, but they loved each other. It was weird. It was just a toxic relationship. And I feel like that's a much more deep-seated issue. I feel like when women don't have a father figure in their life, or at least someone that they can use to model as to what a man should look like, they, they subject themselves to deal with men like that in that mm-hmm. capacity. Which is why, as a man who has three daughters, I'm like, I have to be there. I'm, yeah. I'm going to make my mistakes. I'm not going to be perfect, but... I'm not going to be a dad. Yeah. You're gonna be present too. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. be present. I'm Engaged. not going to repeat that. Mm. You're not going to leave Alexia to do everything on her own. Yeah. No, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Yeah. So how did you handle that when he, she told you that, that you can remember? I just, it's, it's weird, but I just accepted it. 
Was it? Can I ask a bold question? Go ahead. Is that was that a part of the culture, so it was easy to accept? I accepted it in the sense of like I it's didn't... something you had seen somewhere else. Yeah, this was not a new thing. Yeah, it wasn't a new thing. So I accepted it in the sense of like this is normal. However, um, I didn't accept it for myself. I get that. because at that at that same time, I made a decision that I didn't want that for myself, and I didn't mm-hmm. want that for my kids. At six years old, I remember this. I was like, I don't want to raise my kids like this. Mm-hmm. It just was an underlying feeling of this isn't right. You know what's interesting mm-hmm. as I'm listening? Did you have that feeling because of those shows you watched? Yeah. I wanted what they had. A positive piece of TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that interesting? Because you wouldn't have known the difference otherwise. Yeah. That's so interesting. There were other shows too, like yeah. uh, like Family Matters. And oh my yes. gosh, Urkel. Yes. So great. Family Matters. <laughs> yeah, that was a great you know example. Of, and especially you know within the black community, representation mm-hmm. is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And in the 90s, what I've noticed is that there was much more positive representation of, you know, the black nuclear family back in those days to where, you know, you could watch those shows and you're like, oh, okay, cool. But you compare it to your situation and you're like, wait, something's wrong. I want it different. Yeah. And then, um, and you feel like we're not doing that now. You don't see that positive representation much anymore. No. Like on TV, on you're TV? No. Is what you're saying? Anything I see, you know, in regard to the representation Ugh, of black people, is, it's just drug dealers and drug kingpins and or trying to slip things in for these kids like you and i were talking about this shows that our kids watch that um, we canceled disney Mm -hmm. can't stand it because of all the little things that they would put in yeah so gentry she's really the only one that watches any tv but she watches like youtube shorts like Mm. short things or shows of people and it's all sports related like they're taking soccer trick shots yeah Yeah. like dude perfect is yeah but it's just a bunch of international like a bunch of guys in the uk put this on and i'm like i'm totally fine like, that's less threatening to me. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, I'll be like, why don't you watch a movie? But she has no ability to sit and watch a movie, though. For that, that long. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't like movies. She doesn't like shows. And she can't follow a storyline. Because mm. it's, well, there's no shots going on. Or, you know, soccer shots. Or yeah. football shots. Or whatever. But, yeah. It's hard to find stuff for kids. It's very hard. Or when my kids were little, like the Wonder Pets. And those Dora the Explorer. And all these sweet things. Bring those yeah. back. Those are the things that I think you can go watch those yes. if you stream, right? But yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm not as as in tuned with the new stuff, but I know a lot of our families um, are kind of doing what Christy's saying. They're mm-hmm. you have they're to be vigilant, the, and you, well, you, yeah. that's it. They're You're tired, tired of, the, of having to watch what your kids are watching all the time. Yeah. Part of TV is a babysitter. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. want to put your kid in front of the TV so that you can go do something, and you Pretty can't much. do that anymore. You have to sit and watch it, and you gotta talk about it, or you turn it off because you're and too it's tired. Constant yeah. conversations. So you're oh, like, I already disgusting. have to have a million conversations <laughs> about what my kids come home from school with. Yeah. I don't want to have to have a million more. They need about a place to just zone they're out. Watching. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we used to be able yeah. to zone out in front of the TV. My olders could zone out and watch a show. Yeah, yeah. But now, if they watch a show and it's like um, condensed, they're like, "This is an old-fashioned show." Or Gentry calls it, "This is an old-fashioned show, Mom." Why? Well, how, how would you know that? Well, it doesn't fit on the screen. That's right. <laughs> well, yeah. or it's too slow. <laughs> like Super our slow. what we used to watch doesn't stuff doesn't happen fast no. enough. Character mm-hmm. development is things. slow. Super, super or they're quick. disrespectful to parents too. Well, yeah. yeah, which they may not have the underlining political tones, but if now they're just rude. The yeah, if you even see the parent or yeah. a parent, yeah. that's yeah. exactly. Uh, right. Alexia actually stopped uh, my oldest daughter from watching Peppa Pig. Oh, she jumps in muddy puddles. That's our yeah. favorite show. <laughs> she uh, there was Why, one episode. Happened? She was like, I don't like Peppa Pig. She is not nice oh, because no. I think one of her friends could whistle. 
she called Peppa Pig and was like, hey, Peppa, I can whistle. Uh-huh. And yeah, she's like, oh, like let me. This. That's yeah. right. Hello, Peppa. <laughs> Mama Pig and Daddy Pig. Yeah, so yeah. she's like, oh, that's so cool. And she tried to, she tried to whistle yeah. and she couldn't. And she yeah. caught an attitude and just hung up on her friend. Oh, Peppa. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. like she was not having it. She was like, I don't want her watching this. She's just being rude to her Hanging friends. Hanging up on her friends. Yeah, so the so consensus was that now. she was rude. But what we do is a lot of shows that we liked growing yeah. up, we expose our children to. Yeah. Well, and the library's got great resources for those old shows, DVDs. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you still have a DVD, if you have a DVD player. Yeah, I would say you just need a DVD player. Yeah. That's hard. Just have, yeah. And go, <laughs> go to Half Price Books and get a bunch of DVDs uh-huh. for a dollar, too. I know. Okay, back to you, Shamor. I'm so sorry. We so do I know. No, no. Yes, <laughs> and I do have a question then, too. So, sounds like growing up, obviously, things were hard. You had a picture of what you wanted to, it to be, and you're comparing that to picture of what it really is. It mm-hmm. sounds like even in your six-year-old brain yeah. stuff. So, how is the relationships between um, all of you in the home, if you're all constantly living at this level of kind of stress and anxiety. How did you guys do together? Like as a family, mm. you and your sisters, your mom, like how did, how did those interactions go? Oh man, it was rough. It was rough at times, but then at other times, I think with any family, it was enjoyable. And that's what you know. Sometimes you just enjoy being with your family in times of peace. But um, it really helped me and my sisters bond together with everything that we've, we've been through. My sisters, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to them for the role that they played, you know, in raising me, essentially having to grow up early, prematurely, faster than they, they were. Your other mothers, yeah. probably, because if your mom wasn't capable of caring for you guys, mm-hmm. then they had to step up. Yeah, so they had to grow up really fast, and then they had to take care of me. So when I was seven, my middle sister was 14, and my older sister was 16. And there have been times where CPS had to get involved. We had to be removed from the home. Mm-hmm. I had to go live with my family in Virginia for over a year. Um, for my mom to get herself together when she finally did you know we came back and it it was man now that I'm thinking about it mm-hmm. a lot of it was rough but I, I'm grateful for all of it you know because through all of that I, I believe the Lord used all of that every instance whether I realized it or not at that time every situation that I had been in in the past to shape me and prepare me for that moment, you know, as to where he would reveal himself to me and I would accept and all of it would make sense. So tell us about that. Tell Mm -hmm. us how you came to know the Lord. So like after my mom, I think she got clean when I was 11 or 12. So it just had been 12 years of just up and down roller coaster consistency, thrusted back into turmoil. We never went to church, Uh but my mom was a Jehovah witness. Okay. She wasn't like a, a practicing Jehovah mm-hmm. Witness, but the foundation of her faith was rooted in, you know, what Jehovah Witnesses believe. And uh, every now and then, Jehovah's Witnesses would come over. We would have Bible studies with them on Thursday nights. And I would read the Bible with them. I would go through the study. So one thing, okay, it's a little selfishly motivated, but when we would have the Bible studies with them, I would volunteer to read a lot. Like I said, my mother was very big on education, and she taught me how to read. So I always excelled at reading. I would read really fast. Because I just wanted to get it over with so that I could go watch SmackDown at 8 o'clock. I didn't need cable for that. So that was my wrestling fix. In order to watch Raw on Monday, I needed cable. So if I didn't watch it on Thursday, I didn't get wrestling for another week. And I wasn't having that. So, so you <laughs> figured honest, out a way. Real. Um, you were about 12. Your mom got yeah. clean. And so things for you spiritually started changing at that moment? Um, not necessarily spiritually. Just... She was clean and there was consistency. She got a job. She was able to provide for us. There was some normalcy in the home. My sisters were able to, 
you know, go back to school and focus on things that they wanted to do for their careers. My sister, my middle sister ended up becoming a correctional officer. And my older sister, I don't even, I didn't even know what she was doing, but she just was always doing something good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she always had a good job. I, I can't tell you what it was to this day. She graduated college. Awesome. So um, she, she did really well for herself. Mm-hmm. From the time that I was 12 until I was 17, somewhere in that window, my mom got diagnosed with lung cancer from just all the years of drug abuse and smoking. And when I was 17, she ended up succumbing to the cancer and dying. And that was rough. So I started playing football when I was 14. And I finally thought I had some peace in my life. I was like, yes, things are good. And um, I was really looking forward to where, you know, my mom would be able to come and see me play. But once I really started getting some play time, uh, going into my sophomore year, I was a starter, I was a captain, but that's when the cancer got really bad. She was always tired from chemo and radiation. And she was my biggest supporter, but she just was never able to actually come and see me play. She would see, I would bring her newspaper articles and I would bring her some trophies and medals that I would win, the game balls. And she was like, wow, you know, you're really... So my mom never called me Shamor. She called me Ryan. She hated my first name because my father named me. And she agreed to it because that's what he wanted. But if she called me by my first name, she was pissed. So <laughs> she would say, Ryan, you know, you're really doing well for yourself and I can't wait to get out there and see you play. And I'm like, you know, it's coming. And I was convinced that, you know, she would get better and she would be able to, you know, come and just be my mom again. And then she ended up dying as I was going into my junior year. Mm-hmm. And I was distraught. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point in time, I had immersed myself so deeply into football. I kind of lost who I was because if I focused on anything else outside of it, everything would just hit me all at once. And I just wasn't prepared to deal with it. So I just became a football player. I slept football, I breathed football, and I ate football. And it paid off for me in the sense of, you know, allowing me to get some looks to be able to go to college, but I didn't know who I was. And when I was on that football field, it was a healthy outlet in the sense of it avoided me going out into the streets and getting into trouble, but there was just no sense of identity. Mm -hmm. And um, I was completely characterized by what I could do on the field athletically. And I enjoyed that. It brought me a lot of notoriety. People throughout the city began to recognize me for what I could do. There was a lot of promise. Oh, Shamor is going to go and do great things. Athletically, he's going to probably go to NFL. <laughs> and that was the dream. I was like, yes. And um, when I got to college my freshman year. This is at Nor- Norfolk? Norfolk State. Okay. Yeah. Ended up uh, tearing my ACL mm. about maybe a month or two into the season. Your I freshman year? My freshman year. Wow. And that was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had fell into such a dark place. Every And... I started to kind of reflect on things. I had a concept of God. I just didn't know who he was. I'm like, yeah, you know, obviously the world is something that's been created. I'll find out about it one day, maybe. But it wasn't a concern for me. But at that time, that was the darkest place I ever, I had ever been in. I thought, you know, I had some consistency with my mom. I finally got to build a relationship with my mom, get to know her. And it was just, things were great. And that was pulled from underneath me. Mm -hmm. Then I got, you know, football. I fell in love with football. I'm like, okay, this is great. This is promising. There's a future in this. That got stripped away from me. So at that point in time, I was just at rock bottom. So I just fell into a really dark place of drinking, smoking, um, just dealing with women all the time, mm-hmm. just to, I don't know, running away from all of the pain, I guess. So were your coaches involved at all? Or once you tore your ACL, were you just off the team? So the thing is, at the time at which I tore my ACL, it was the most inopportune time ever. Because had I been able to get back into what's referred to as spring ball, 
they would have been able to reevaluate me to see, okay, are you going to be good for next season? But that was six months away at the time. And typically to get back from an ACL injury, it takes from six to nine months. But for me, it was a year and a half. For everyone, it's different. And um, just that, that experience altogether, I was just like, okay. You know, I kept trying to pursue football after I ended up transferring back to a school, a junior college in New York. That didn't work out. Ended up transferring to another school, a Division three school in New Jersey. Are you still spiraling out of control as yes. you're transferring around, just trying to find your identity or a place mm-hmm. to be? Yep. Did you have any teammates or friends be like, dude, get out of this. You're out of control. A lot Are of your teammates, sisters? My sisters. Just somebody? Did you have anybody? So my sisters were there. They mm-hmm. always supported me, you know, as much as they could. But did they know the deep, dark side that you were dealing with at the time? No. Yeah. No. It's easy to hide sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just... I kept up the facade of, mm-hmm. you know, a football player who's just been derailed, but I'm going to get back on the tracks. And um, a lot of my friends were in similar situations. Mm. You know, when you're growing up just playing football and your identity is wrapped up in it, and you just, you want to get back to that place to where you can feel like you belong again. And that's, that's all what you it was. know, though. Yeah. That's so it all makes you know. sense. That's why you, that's yeah. why well, you want it, that. It provided a distraction to you. Yeah. From in real your life. headspace. And yeah. an identity and a you place be, to belong. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to think about all this stuff over here yep. if all if you had football. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so you end up transferring and you have you're a mess. Yeah. A huge mess. So what um how does that end up? Like tell us the progression. So after my third school, my uh the division three school in New Jersey, I finished up the season there and I just I didn't like the politics. And there was a lot of favoritism. It wasn't an evaluation based upon skill and talent. It was, okay, this guy's been here longer, so he's going to get more playing time. And I really was fed up with that. I'm like, that's not how it should be. So I stopped. I left that school. And then I believe the following, maybe the next six months, my birthday was coming up, my 22nd birthday. I went back to Virginia to celebrate it with some friends. And my aunts lived in the next city over in Virginia Beach. And when I was at Norfolk State, they would call me, you know, periodically and say, hey, you know, we're going to church this Sunday. Would you want to come? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll go to church with you whatever. Go to sleep, take a nap. I would be hungover every single Sunday. So I would just go to sleep and they'd just be happy I came. So I was honestly just doing it for them. Mm-hmm. And then we'd go out to eat and just hang out with them and they'd bring me back to the campus. So they knew I was coming out there for my birthday. And my aunt texted me like, hey, when you get to where you're going, text me the information so that I can you know, come and get you Sunday for church. I was like, okay, cool. I said, I'll ask my friend once he picks me up from the bus station, and I'll send you that information. I never got to send her the actual apartment number. I just sent her the community because I didn't know the apartment number yet. When my friend got me, the festivities had begun. The party started. The party started as soon as he got there. So there was no opportunity for me to send her the the specifics. So the next day, I wake up from four missed calls from my aunt. Next day, like morning next day. The next morning. Yeah, next morning. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. the next morning because I got there on Saturday night. Uh, I called her back. And I was like, oh, man, I'm so sorry, auntie. I missed your call. I said, I- I'm getting ready now. I'm stumbling over bodies. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so hungover. And I hear a knock at the door. And I open up the door. It's my aunt. I was like, oh, hey, auntie. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let me get ready. I turn around after, you know, running to the bathroom. I say, hey, wait, I never sent you the apartment number. How did you get the apartment number? She said, I just had a feeling this is where you are. I'm like, no way. There's like hundreds of apartments here. This is you just this is the first door you knocked on. She was like, yes, this is the first door I knocked on. I'm like major coincidence, but I'm going to go and get ready. So (laughs) 
I go get ready. We drive to church. I sleep through half the sermon. But when I woke up, I heard the gospel being preached for the first time in a way in which I had never heard it before. And I was like, look, this Jesus guy, I don't know who he is, but I need him. That's, that's just what kept reverberating in my mind and in my heart. And next thing you know, my body started to react. I'm sweating profusely and I'm, and I'm crying and I don't know why. I just felt like it was me and that preacher in the room. And he just, he was calling people up there. He was like, there's someone in here who needs to give their life to Jesus. And he just kept, I mean, he was hitting me hard with the gospel and I was like, please stop. And um, I just, I couldn't resist it. Next thing I know, my body just started walking up there and I'm bawling in front of all these people. I don't know who these people are. And I didn't realize what was happening at that time, you know, because some people, when they come to Christ, it's it's gradual. For me, it, it was more dramatic, I would say, and, and what it felt like mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's other conversion experiences Absolutely. that are similar. Yep. But for me, I just felt like my foundations were being rocked to the point where my body was physically reacting to, you know, the call that I believe Jesus had on me at that time. And man, it was, that was a life-changing experience. I said, this, I said, this Jesus that you're talking about, I feel like that's what I've been looking for, um, for like the identity that I've placed in football, the, the drugs that I tried to use to escape from the reality that I no longer have football, my childhood, my upbringing. I feel like he's the answer and the solution to all of it. And ever since then, like my conduct didn't, you know, mm -hmm. uh, change immediately. Didn't follow you immediately. No, mm -hmm. it didn't. And, um. I still, you know, was doing some of the activities that I had done previously, but I was reading my Bible every single day and I made it a mission to read through the Bible. And I said, I want to know more about the Lord. And I just, I kept preaching the gospel to people and people just kept saying, Hey, you should go into ministry. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I want to teach you about, you know, this Jesus that I believe has changed my life. And it just kept happening more and more frequently. And I just, I fought it for a long time, for years actually. And then when I started dating Alexia, I had still been fighting it. And it wasn't until she brought it to me. Had Alexia not brought it to me, I probably wouldn't be in ministry today. Mm -hmm. What do you mean brought it to you? She, I guess, recognized that, you know, I should go into ministry and she saw a call in my life. And God used her, I believe, for me to acknowledge the call that he had in my life to go into ministry because I did not want to. Mm. I just wanted to, you know, live my life and be a Christian <laughs> it was um, how do I say this it wasn't the last thing on my list it wasn't even on my list but you know God just has a way of doing things to where he gets you to do what he wants you to do <laughs> you're right what made y'all decide to move to Texas and how'd you end up on our staff <sighs> so things just kept happening to us where we were in Jersey City Alexia is not originally from Jersey she was living in Jersey with her parents at the time but she's originally from New York so she wasn't familiar with, you know, what I was exposed to all the time. So mm -hmm. we moved in. She moved in with me shortly after we got married. And we got an apartment together in a gentrified portion of Jersey City. We think, okay, this isn't really the hood, or at least it won't be for long. So um, we moved in. And within a month of us moving into our new apartment, it got broken into. And then she was pregnant like with the Like they took everything? What does that mean, broken into? They just... This was this guy, whoever did it, was skilled in the sense of he was experienced to where he knew exactly where we kept our stash. We got broken into in El Paso. And when really? we did, like, our sugar was tossed, our mattresses oh, were tossed. Yeah. Our, they like, know it, where to look. They do. And we oh. we were 
we were so excited because we had found a place that wasn't too expensive and mm-hmm. we learned after being there a few months why we were like the second to last <laughs> duplex on the block that hadn't been broken into i laugh now because i'm like we just moved right along i was like mm-hmm. it didn't i mean like yeah didn't even lose any sleep over it i don't yeah. know you why you feel like violated or like no. someone came through i think it kind of my car getting broken into and feeling like Well, and at that time I was working with very, very troubled, difficult teens and had been for a while. And so the guy was like, yeah, this is probably a gang that comes through and they, you know, they jumped out the back windows and we were one of the only ones without bars on the back Mm. windows. So our, the guy who owned it put bars on there for us or whatever. After but now I will tell you after kids. So Alexi was pregnant, you said? So. Or did she have Ariana already? already? Yeah, she had Ariana already. Because when you get broke, I think if we'd have had kids and I'd gotten broken into, yeah. I think my, oh, I think it would have been a whole nother ball game. Mm-hmm. I think I'd have been like, we're moving. We're not staying here. <laughs> yeah. uh, which I'm betting is where you're going with it. But go ahead. That's how it was. <laughs> yeah. We had kids and she was pregnant with Alea. She was still working. She was still relatively early in the pregnancy. So she goes to, she called me that morning. I had left to work already. She told me, hey, I don't know if I feel like going to work today. I said, well, you know, it's up to you. They know you're pregnant. If you want to stay home, I'm sure they're not going to care. She said, no, I'm going to go in. I said, okay. You know, but if at any point in the day you want to go home, please, please do. She ends up going to work. We come home later that afternoon and the door was open. And I said, hey, did you leave the door unlocked? Oh, my gosh. This is re- Jamie did the same thing. He's like, did you leave the door unlocked? Yeah. Before you- <laughs> like, no. I'm dingy, yeah. but I don't think I'm that dingy. <laughs> and she said the same. She was like, no, I didn't. I, I, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. And there were some strange gloves just in the middle of the floor. I said, whose gloves are they? I'm like, hold on now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I go and I check where we, we put our stash for a lay of savings. Probably was about $2,000. Oh, and Some more. it had been wiped. No, yeah. that stinks. They know where to look. Yeah, so they under do. the beds and your nightstands, yeah. they know where people keep their money. They d- they took our sugar and dumped it. Because people took keep our money fun, in there. Because people, people keep money oh, in there. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. When you said that, I was not thinking yeah. that's where they You think money. that you're hiding it in an unconventional place, but they know where to look. And they know where all the unconventional places yes. are. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know they... They checked tile. You could see scuff marks mm-hmm. in the bathroom where they had moved Loose their feet tiles. on the tiles. Well, your sister and... kept her money in the tile. And you yeah. said your mom knew. And they find yeah. it. They know it's... where to look. So sugar, flour, <laughs> tile. Let's just review real fast. Beds. Where else? Lights. Lights. Oh, light fixtures. Light fixtures. Light fixtures. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. Light fixtures. Books. Oh, yep. books. Books. All my books. I love books. My books were all over. You could tell they'd yep. shaking them out. Wow. Okay. Um, Sorry. Anyway, so, yeah. So Sorry, that child. happened. Wow. So we got over that. That I was. I felt violated. Uh huh. I felt so dirty. I didn't even want to be there. So I went to Home Depot that day, and I got like four more locks. <laughs> we bought a ring camera. Oh, good. Especially <laughs> losing that amount of hard-earned money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That must have felt. Yeah, it just raw. Yeah. We saved up yeah. for that, and it was some of it was also gifted to us. Yeah. So we were really upset, and I was going to deposit it the next day. It was a Friday, and I know that it was a Friday because I was going to deposit it on Saturday when I was off. Yeah. So that ended up happening. A few months later, she was pregnant with Alea when that happened. A few months later, the day we were supposed to give birth to Alea, I'm sorry, not birth. We were supposed to get her out of the hospital because mm-hmm. she came prematurely. Our car got stolen that morning. Oh, my God. I said, oh, this is unreal. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I thought it got, I thought it got towed. 
So I'm calling all of the, you know, tow yeah. companies to see, okay, where's the car? I wasn't parked illegally. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't find it. We ended up putting in a police report. They found it actually probably about seven months ago when we were living out here. That was a huge eye-opener for us in the sense of we have to get out of here. We yeah. can't stay here. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it was just us, maybe we could have tolerated it. But, you know, we have kids mm -hmm. and we're trying to grow and expand our family. It's just that's not a good place. So we started looking for other places to, to relocate to. Florida was at the top of our list because your parents are living in Florida. So we wanted to be closer to, you know, the grandparents. That fell through. We're like, okay, how about Arizona? You know, how about... You know, uh, warm states, it sounds like. Warm states. Yeah, we went, yeah I, I was over the snow. I'm sure. I had shoveled my last car out of snow. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not doing it anymore. Come here, end up doing it anyway. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but, <laughs> so at least it's very all. limited. Yeah. Okay. yeah, it's not bad at all. Especially in comparison to New Jersey, where you're mm -hmm. shoveling, you know, four feet of snow. Yeah. During this time, are you questioning God? Are you shouting out to him? Where are you in your faith? So when our house, when our apartment got broken into, I was livid. And... I was tempted to do some things that were not the most godly. Mm -hmm. I was about to make some calls, you know, to some friends of mine. Like, you know people. Yes. I'm like, let's go, let's go make something happen. Mm -hmm. And Alexia just grabbed me and she said, no, Shamor, let, let's pray about it. I'm Thank like, you want Lord me to pray right wife. now? My I was, word. I was, I was so upset. My hands were shaking. And you could have and ended <laughs> up in jail. I could have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you would have been leaving your wife and daughter. So I could thank have. The, which... You get the immediate reaction, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes total sense, especially yeah. going, I have worked so hard to move from where I am. But thank goodness that you had the wherewithal to listen to your wife. Thank God. That was the Holy Spirit yeah. because my body was physically shaking because I wanted to act. You were so mad. She was like, no, let's pray about it. And after we prayed, I just felt such a weight lifted. And we were actually able to laugh about it after we prayed for him. And that was an experience that I feel like that, that helped You prayed me for the person who wronged yeah. you. It wasn't even so much the fact that they stole the money from us. It was the fact that you were in my space. Yes. That's really what it was about for mm -hmm. me. You know, okay. had my wife been home because oh. she was contemplating not, you know, going to work. Mm -hmm. And maybe he, they were watching. People just don't act and do things like that arbitrarily. That was premeditated. So the fact that you know she left after me he saw that and then he saw his moment to strike but you know we were able to pray for him and we were able to laugh about it because the lord has blessed us tremendously since that happened and even after our car got stolen as unfortunate as it was we were able to pray and laugh about that as well so you end up here in texas mm -hmm. you end up in frisco yeah so how did you end up on staff here because you were attending our church you'd been attending for a couple of years two years right? for two mm -hmm. years already um how'd you end up on staff how'd that happen <laughs> it was a God thing, honestly. You know, I'm in school. I have been in school for the last three and a half, almost four years. Undergrad at Liberty? Undergrad, yeah, mm -hmm. at Liberty, studying theology and biblical studies. Okay. Um, I had told my pastor back at our church in Jersey City that I was interested in going into ministry once I finally embraced the call, you know, through Alexia helping me with that. Mm -hmm. A big hang-up for me was if the woman I'm with isn't okay with me going into ministry and potentially being a pastor's wife, that's going to that's gonna hurt. For mm -hmm. sure. You know? <laughs> yes. so, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. So, but considering that she was in favor of it and actually recommended it to me was a huge confirmation for me. Like, okay, mm -hmm. this is something that I should be doing. I told my minister, hey, I'm, I'm interested in going into ministry. He said, I knew this day was coming. He just gave me a hug. Mm -hmm. And that's when he helped me look into some schools, end up going to Liberty, studying there. I'm in my senior year now and it's almost over, thank God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but. And then Dallas came up because. Florida didn't work out as far as us relocating. 
and any other place that we looked into didn't work out. So I was like, you know, there's a good school out there that I think I'd like to go to after I finished my my undergrad. And she was like, oh, what school is that? And I was like, Dallas Theological Seminary, mm-hmm. which, you know, things have changed. I don't want to go there anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think I have my, my radar for some other schools. Okay. But um, we ended up coming out here. We attended Frisco first on Easter of 2021. And we didn't want to seem like, you know, those people who just come on Easter and never come again. Or until next Easter, you'll see us. There's but, so many jokes there, but we'll just keep <laughs> asking. Keep going. It was just coincidental that we ended up coming on Easter. Mm-hmm. You know, I just don't attend a church without looking into it first. Mm-hmm. I listened to about three weeks of sermons to make sure that I didn't see any theological red flags and that this would be a good place to bring my family. We came and we checked out the campus before the turf was here. Yeah. And uh, we sat outside on the Easter service with the grass. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a cool experience. And then they ended up, I'm not sure who it was. But they were like, they saw me, uh, Alexia, Ari, and Alea at the time, and they brought us inside. They were like, no, no, there's some seats inside. You guys come in. So we were like, oh, that's awesome. There's some really nice people here. We just love the vibe. We love the atmosphere and the community, just the warm embrace that we received coming here. So we're like, you know, we think this is a place that we can attend, and we just love to serve. And they know I'm in school studying theology and biblical studies and have been for some time, and we just, any opportunity we can to serve, we, we were taking advantage of it because that's what we did back at our church in, in New Jersey. We just want to help and we want to serve people in the best way we can. And um, it had gotten really dark for a time and me like passing up on job opportunities mm-hmm. to pursue ministry in the sense of passing up good jobs that could potentially put me in a better position to provide for my family long term, but wouldn't necessarily allow me the time to be able to focus on school and serving at church as much as, as much as I'd like to. Yeah. And um, so that put us in a bind a little bit financially, but I'm like, okay, it's going to pay off. <laughs> a door is going to open. And um, I, I hadn't seen anything. I had been applying for jobs, nothing for maybe a year and some change. But you were working like three jobs at one time mm-hmm. though. Yeah. Okay. I was working. Cause you were, you're not like just sitting at home studying. I don't yeah, want people no, to think no. that you're just sitting at home. Like you're a hard worker and you've been doing multiple jobs to provide. But you turned down more of a full time, yeah. nine to five yes. business type Yeah, yeah, stuff. no, I wasn't yeah. just sitting home. I was working for a moving company. I yeah. was working for a security company. Mm-hmm. The Lord blessed me with an opportunity to be able to train younger kids for football. And um, that's been a blessing too. Mm-hmm. So it's just another source of income. And it's also something that I really enjoy doing. I would do that for free. But just in the sense of the love that I have for it, same thing for ministry, but, yeah. you know, the bills mm-hmm. need to be paid. Family mm-hmm. needs to be provided for. Mm-hmm. So um, that's when I was struggling for a while. Like, nothing's happening. I started questioning my call. Like, if this is something I'm called to do, like, why is nothing coming up? And I was speaking to my friend, the young adults minister at Providence. His name is Arch. And I was just telling him a little bit about what I was going through to see if maybe he had been through a similar experience. And he was like, dude, if, you know, if you're called, God's not going to call you and not provide you with an opportunity. And I just I just remember my sentiments hearing now. I was like, whatever, Arch. Like, you have no idea how long it's been, <laughs> how hard mm-hmm. we've worked, the mm-hmm. sacrifices we've made, the tears we've cried, and nothing. I'm not hearing anything. I'm asking the Lord to just show me something. I will go do something else. It's not a problem. If I, if I went ahead of you, if this wasn't what I was called to do, just let me know. And... I think by maybe two, three weeks later, that's when I got the call from David Fuquay. Like, hey, look, this is what we're doing here. We want to bring you in for an interview for the young adults minister position. I was like, I dropped to my knees. And me and Alexia were just just, just crying like, oh, my God. Because she saw, you know, where I was at spiritually. Mm-hmm. And um, she had made so many sacrifices as well. I said earlier to use the word 
chaotic underworld. Yeah. You feel like that's how you grew up, but it seemed like it also plagued you mm-hmm. for different parts. But then knowing that God's in charge of that underworld because he's yeah. not a God of chaos. Yeah. So getting rid of the chaos, but there's still that underworld of um, just being life happening, mm-hmm. but watching God kind of put your plans or his plans in place yeah. and it all coming to fruition is awesome. Yeah. And that's what really helps me maintain an internal perspective. Mm. I mean, you came from a hard place, family of origin, difficult yeah. environment, difficult. What would you say is your struggle now as you're a dad, as you're a husband of mm. not kind of reverting back to some of those family of origin issues? And then how do you move forward? Well, um, knowing that's a part of who, who you are, but God has made you different for something else. Like if somebody's listening to this and they need encouragement, like I keep revert as much as I try and I work so hard to be different. Mm-hmm. I find myself drawn back there. Yeah. And even if you are, you know, like what, what would do you, you do over your- and over again? And, and you have yes. no result, but you want, you have had results. Yes. So what are you doing that's encourage other people, people that are doing it over and over again and no result? Oh, man. As far as I would say being a father and a husband, it's one of the hardest things in the world for me because I'm trying to do something and be great at something that I've never seen before. So that's been a struggle for me. And sometimes I do, you know, I don't always, you know, shepherd my family properly. I don't always deal with my kids accordingly. Sometimes I'll lash out at them, snap out on them. And I don't want to, but I try to make sure I always go to them and say, hey, look, you know, dad's not perfect. You know, I make mistakes too. And I try to take accountability for it. But I do try to, you know, communicate with my kids and make sure that I, I let them know I am not perfect. And um, as they get older and I'm able to have the more in-depth conversations with them, I let them know, like, you are growing with me because I don't have it all figured out. Like I said, trying to be something that I've never seen. I've never seen um, from a, like, firsthand perspective what a godly father is supposed to look like. But, you know, the Lord has supplied me with a bunch of men that I can look to and seek counsel from to be able to help me and aid me in my journey. So that would be a good thing to recommend to people then is, hey, go find somebody yeah. who can help you. Think, Don't do it by yourself. I would even say mm-hmm. God has already put those people in their life. They just don't see them yet. Yeah. There's a lady that I have befriended that she's constantly asking for a mentor. And I have had to say multiple times, they're already in your life. Mm-hmm. Open your eyes. Take off the scales. Open your eyes because they're already there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that's a struggle. I get it. But. I think that God provides those people for you that you don't have to look for because he knows you're a sheep wandering around. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I don't want my yeah. sheep wandering. And you're going to have somebody right there. And it doesn't does. have to be a formal program to no. learn from people who right. are caring for you mm-hmm. and walking alongside you just in life. So. And it doesn't have to be all the things. Like mm-hmm. it can be somebody that can help you with money or just learn how to handle your anger or learn how to handle job or how to be a good husband or a good wife. Like it doesn't have to be one person that does all of it either. Yeah. Yeah. So young adults, you're the young adults minister here. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. And so, tell us about so long, how, how long so far it's only been I think a month, maybe a month a and month. a week. So this is fresh, fresh, <laughs> fresh here in the office. Fresh blood. Uh, that's we right. Call you. It's so great. <laughs> no, tell us about what you're launching. Common grounds. Yes. Is it plural? Common ground. Not plural. Not plural. One yes. common ground. Mm-hmm. We stand on a common ground. Yes. Shoes. No shoes. Hold the ground. Got it. <laughs> there we go. go. What is that? So common ground is going to be just the regular gathering. You know, a that monthly. We, we're still trying to work out the specifics as to what that would look like. Either it be two times a month. But we you wanna, have one coming up. Let's talk about the yes. one that's coming up on May fifth. May fifth. Cinco de Mayo. Oh. And we're really looking forward to it. And we want this to serve as the kickoff for the young adults ministry to 
you know, let the young adults know what they can look forward to, to give them a taste as to things that will be coming in the future with mm-hmm. young adults ministry. It's not just a gathering for us to come together and have a good time. Although it is that. Right. It's a time where there'll be worship. There will be a brief teaching mm-hmm. by yours truly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to do my best, the best that I can to, mm-hmm. you know, edify the people mm-hmm. with the word of God. Edify, preach. <laughs> and, um, and fellowship. The majority mm-hmm. of the night will just be fellowship and fostering and cultivating a community of people. The reason why we called it Common Ground is based upon Acts 2.44, where it says all the believers were gathered together and they had all things in common. And what are your age group? Tell us kind of the age range for what is a young adult? So here at Frisco First, That's the age range specify that. is 22 to 40 because different young adults ministries kind of, you know, put it differently. Some it's 18 to 25, some it's 20s and 30s, but here it's 22 to 40. So pretty much fresh out of college mm-hmm. or maybe your last year into 40. Yeah. Into 40. Yep. If you're 41, we'll find another spot for you. <laughs> pretty much. And it also <laughs> it depends on the stage of life. Absolutely. Because, you know, a lot of people here, 41, typically are married with kids. Mm-hmm. And if there's no life group for you, there's no specific ministry that caters to that particular age group, you fall to the young adults by default. Mm-hmm. So and we want you to feel welcome. We want you know to, you to be in a place where, yes, there's people that you can learn from that can walk with you. There's people that you can pour into. And there's also people that you can learn from. Mm. So That's good. That's awesome. Okay. Lightning round questions. Uh-huh. This is just fun. Okay. Okay. What's the last show that you binge watched and loved? The Last Kingdom. Oh, that's a new one. Okay. <laughs> what is something that people often get wrong about you? That I'm all black. Oh, because you're Puerto Rican. <laughs> I was like, pause. What does that mean, Puerto Rican? Okay. <laughs> but do you you don't caveat or talk about that, do you? No. You just go with it? Yep. So if, okay. if people don't ask, yeah. I don't say anything. Don't is it rude to ask? I don't think so. Okay. This is fun. I like these <laughs> conversations with you. You're easy to talk to. What is your biggest pet peeve? Oh. Uh, Oh. People chewing with their mouth open. Oh, you could never sit it's at the, the table with the worst Whitaker thing in Williams. the world. He is the worst. <laughs> it makes me want to just gouge my eyes out and <laughs> hit them in the face. Chewing with your mouth open sounds like a camel or a horse. I can't. Oh, cow. I can't. So smacking gum probably really bugs you too, then, huh? Not That's so good. much. Really? But like, if it doesn't, if you don't have to do it that way, I'd rather you not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like if you don't, if it's you don't different. Have... It's different if you can't breathe through your nose and you're trying to get a breath. Yeah. Right? But otherwise, please. Oh, it's chew horrible. With your mouth I agree with you. It's so bad. Okay. The noisy narrative is about cutting through the noise and getting to the heart of the matter. What is your narrative right now? We often say it kind of, what season are you in? So you are the blank narrative. Hmm, that's an interesting I know, question. I that's a loaded that question. Out. I know. That's the only hard one. Hmm. I guess I could say I'm in a in a conception narrative, if that makes sense. Ooh, that's New fine. things are beginning. Yes. Yes. Like, you know, just playing a role in the conception of new things. Okay. I, I like that. that. I do too. Okay. You are in heaven. You're looking down at your funeral. What do you hope people say about you? You cannot say that. You were a good and faithful servant or that you loved Jesus? Because we know that about you. That's a given. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hopefully it's a given. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm looking down from heaven. What do I want people to say about me? Hmm. I think I would like people to think I was, a, you know, a, a cool guy, I guess. Yeah. I love it. Like a, a cool guy. guy. I'm yeah, a cool like, guy. I was good to sit with and mm-hmm. he's a cool guy, talk yeah. to. And yeah, <laughs> I'm just a cool dude. Okay. I have a song that came to mind when you were talking about your Jesus and oh, who that's he my is. song. Do you like this song? Yes, yeah, uh, Ann Wilson. Yes! Yeah. Oh, I totally, when you were talking, I was like, he's totally talking about this song. Uh-huh. And talks about...
Well, that's it from Noisy Narratives, and we will um, talk to you next week, guys. Uh-huh. Thank you, Shamora, so much. Thank you. Thank you we'll for having listening me. listening to this song because we love it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but until next time, everybody, that's it from Noisy Narratives. Um, we'll talk to you next week. This is Noisy Narratives out. Bye.